Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. As the nights grow longer, and the cold settles in over the northern hemisphere, I can't help but find myself getting into the festive spirit. And no, I don't mean trees and lights, jingle bells and mistletoe. I mean the cold, bleak, haunting spirit that underscores many of our holly-jolly traditions. In my opinion, The ghouls and ghosts that haunt the winter holidays are every bit as chilling as anything Halloween has to offer. So, grab a hot drink and settle in around the fire. Wrap that blanket tight and let's see what terrors we can coax from the shadows. We have a pair of tales for you this evening about two sisters sequestered in perpetual darkness and a lonely wasteland wanderer whose malady becomes an unexpected blessing. Our first story for the evening comes from Z.J. Garcia. Z.J. Garcia is a writer of speculative and literary fiction. His story, Him, was published in Belle Ombre in April of last year, and his poem, Pink Moon, a Haiku, is forthcoming in Better Than Starbucks. He has twice been published in his university's literary journal, The Phoenix. He resides in Texas with his dogs. You can visit him at his website, zjgarcia.com, and his Facebook page at zjgarciawrites. Children of the Night, join me for Z.J. Garcia's The Shuttered House, first published in The Phoenix, Baylor University Student Literary Journal, March 
didn't mean to do the terrible bad thing. It wasn't my fault. Mama and Daddy had always said not to, but they never said why. And now I'm in the quiet room again. They keep asking, why would you do such a horrid thing? I don't know. Maybe it was because I was bored. It's so hard to be good when there's nothing to do after all. So I always wind up in the quiet room. That's the tiny closet neath the stairs. Whenever I get mad and throw a fit, they lock me in and won't let me out. I scream and scream as loud as I can, but my throat gets tired. So I sit down and am real quiet till they ask me if I'm finished being a little wretch. And I always say yes, even though I ain't. The quiet room is dark, but I don't mind none because the whole house is dark and full of shadows all the time. Every morning before the sun comes up, we close all the shutters and pull heavy black curtains over them so the sun won't shine in. Mama and Daddy say we ain't supposed to open them till night comes again. That's the number one rule. But why? I once asked. Why can't the sun shine in? Because we said so. That's why. Oh, but can't we have a peek at it? Just one peek at it? No. And that was the end of it. Sometimes I'd wonder about the sun, what it looks like. I don't know more. Not after what happened. But I used to. I read about it in a book once. On one page it said, The golden sun shone on her golden hair. I didn't know what it was. The golden color? So one day I asked Mama. She gave me a funny look when I did. Gold. I leaned in real close, waiting for her to tell me all about it. Now why would you want to know about something like that? I read it in a book, I said. You read it in a book, she repeated. I nodded. Well, if you must know, gold is... She stopped for a moment to think. Gold's a warm kind of color, like candlelight, I suppose. Candlelight? I wish my hair was the golden color, and not black like rat's hair. When the sun came up and the day birds outside started singing, me and my younger sister Sadie was supposed to go to bed. Only we could never get to sleep, what with the birds and all. So we'd stay up to play games. We played them so much, though, they stopped being fun, and I always had to come up with new ones to play. One day I just ran out of ideas altogether, and me and Sadie got to fighting. Sometimes Mama or Daddy would come upstairs and tell us to get back to bed. Mostly, though, Mama would put me in the quiet room, which only made Daddy madder because he had to stay up to let me out. It ain't fair that Sadie never got put in the quiet room, but I always did. That time was the only time me and Sadie didn't get to fighting. Our house is Don Lafore, out in the woods. A biggin, full of tall, shady trees with winding branches that look like they're gonna reach out and grab you. There was always something for us to do out there, like climbing up the trees way high up and hanging down from branches by our feet. Sometimes we'd go chasing the ghost lights that gathered round the swamp. Once the moon was high enough above the trees, we'd go hunting and catch all kinds of critters. Swamp rabbits, opossums. One time, I even caught me a stray minu way out there in the wood. Would you believe that? Of course, I always preferred the rabbits, but so did Sadie. So we always had to share. I didn't like that I had to share with Sadie all the time. I think now, if I didn't have to share, I wouldn't have been in the quiet room so much. Last time I was in the quiet room was because Sadie had my Charlotte doll. She was playing with her, getting her hair all a mess. 
I told her to give Charlotte back to me, but she just kept on saying no. So I tried to take Charlotte back. Let go, I told her, but she wouldn't. I pulled harder and harder till poor Charlotte's legs went one way and her arms went another. All of a sudden, I got hot and red all over my body. I couldn't stop myself. I jumped on top of Sadie and started pulling out her hair. She was crying, hollering at me to stop, but I couldn't. I just kept right on pulling till she screamed so loud Mama woke up. I tried to tell Mama that Charlotte was mine and that Sadie wouldn't give her back, but she didn't listen. She never did. Instead, she asked, Why can't you be more like your sister? And I got hot and red all over again. It's lonely in the quiet room, because it's away from everything else and there's nothing to do in it but think. Mama always says, Now think about what you've done when she puts me in. So I do. And that's how I thought up the terrible bad thing. I didn't know how terrible it was when I thought it. I know now, of course. But that don't matter. It's too late. I sat in the dark all alone till, after a long, long time, Daddy let me out, and in a tired voice told me to go straight to bed. Bonne nuit, I said. He just groaned. I skipped up the stairs repeating all the things that start with the letter S. Snot, slug, slime, like that. When I got to the room, Charlotte's arms and legs were still scattered across the floor. I jumped into bed with Sadie and tapped her over the shoulder to see if she was sleeping. Sadie, I whispered. She didn't answer. She was still upset at me for pulling out her hair, so I whispered, Sadie, again. And that time she turned and looked at me. Her face was all a mess from crying. I couldn't help but giggle. What do you want? She asked. I made up a whole new game while I was in the quiet room. Wanna play? No. Please? It'll be fun. I don't want to play with you inside. Mama says we have to go to bed now. We'll stay quiet, just like two mice. Sadie turned back round and played like she was sleeping, but I knew better. I know you're still awake, I said. She didn't say a word, just laid there. Aren't you in the least bit interested? I told you, I don't want to get in trouble, she finally said back. Just let me tell you all about it, then you can decide if you want to play or not. How's that sound? That time she looked back at me, so I knew I had her attention. I told her the rules. First, you have to go to the window and look out while I close my eyes, like this. Then you give me clues about what you see, and I have to guess. Then we're supposed to switch. Sadie's eyes got so big, I thought she was going to run and tell right then and there. But we ain't supposed to. Mama and Daddy said so. That was when I fibbed and told her I already had seen outside when nobody was looking. Only she didn't believe me. Nuh-uh. She said, shaking her head. But it's true. I did see it. I peeped outside and saw it. Did not. Did too. She looked at the window for a moment, then looked back at me. What did it look like then? She finally asked. If you saw it. Well, it was big, like the moon is big. Only it weren't white but gold. Gold? Like candlelight, Sadie, but brighter and warmer. I could feel it on my face and in my hair, and when I reached up to touch it, I felt it running through my fingers. 
Oh, it was the most wonderful thing in the world. Sadie was quiet for a while, just thinking, trying real hard to picture all I had told her. I knew the minute she finally opened her mouth to speak that I'd won the game. The real game. The one she knew nothing about. If you're fibbing, I hope Mom and Daddy lock you up and never ever let you out again. I felt myself getting hot and red. But instead of jumping on her and pulling out her hair like I'm accustomed to, I just said, Go see for yourself if you don't believe me. But she didn't move. She was still scared. Go on. I won't tell. Swear? I nodded. So Sadie slid off the bed and slowly walked up to the window. And when she finally got there, she stopped and turned her head back at me. What if Mom and Daddy find out? They won't, because I won't tell them. I smiled so big I put my hands over my mouth so Sadie wouldn't know I was fibbing. Then she turned back towards the window and pulled the big black curtain to the side. Go on already? I kept telling her, bouncing on my knees. Go on. I can't. The window was too high for her. Stand on your tippy toes. I whispered. She did, and was able to lift the latch on the shutter. Open it. I was just as excited to run and tell Mama and Daddy that Sadie had broken the number one rule of the house as I was to see the sun for myself. I wondered right then if it was going to be everything I dreamed it would. She pushed the shutter open with a tiny hand, just enough so that a little light fell on her face, no more than a thread. And that's when it happened. Pauvre bet, pauvre bet. And it all happened so fast, too. Faster than I could put my hands over my eyes. There was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't move none. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do nothing at all. But stand there and watch poor Sadie's face crack and crumble into a pile of dust on the floor. That was Z.J. Garcia's The Shuttered House, as read by Crystal Hammond. Crystal Hammond is a narrator-slash-writer, cancer survivor, and non-binary queer human. They grew up in rural North Carolina, nurtured by a steady diet of local Blackbeard legends and Confederate ghost stories. These nuggets of folktale and myth fostered a lifelong love of storytelling and all the drama that goes with it. They also have a master's degree in biological anthropology and adore ugly cats. Feel free to check out their narration website at crystalhammond.com and find them on Twitter at thekmhammond. Thank you, Crystal. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Samuel Feldstein. Sam is a horror, fantasy, and science fiction writer healing from the distant land of Iowa. Or was it Idaho? Sam enjoys going to movies, playing video games, and writing about himself in the third person. Sam doesn't have a cat, but there is a cat in Sam's life. Sam likes it that way. If you'd like to follow Sam, he is at SWiseWrites on Twitter. Listen with me, children of the night, to Samuel Feldstein's The Man Who Was a Boy Made of Memories first published in The Chamber, November 2021. The world has ended. That is the common expression. Except the world is still here. It is humanity that has flown, cremated by fire and pounded to loam by water, returned to dust and hurled from existence by the furious mother who housed it and was requited with brutality. A boy begins as the world ends, a blooming consciousness on the precipice of maturity, He comes of age in the age of ash. He wanders through the shell cities and roams the wasted wilderness, searching for a new beginning, but finding only old ends. He believes that he can escape if he walks far enough and for long enough. He forgets that nightmares are not bound in fringes. Days go by, then months, then years. The old world grows more distant while the new offers no possibilities. The farther the boy walks, the further he sinks into the past, finding refuge in that palace of lost things, growing into a man who is a boy made of memories. We are living until we are dying. We are dying until we are dead and live again. One. He'd been walking a long time. He could not remember from which way he'd come. It might well be the way he was going. He had forgotten much. In forgetting, he knew little. He knew the gray road and the gray sky. He knew the brown and the barren. He knew his feet and his footsteps and the rhythm of his thoughts. He knew what was in front of him. 
The sooty air depressed the sun and cast an earth-wide shadow over the highway and the fallow fields on either side. He used to try not to think about that, maybe the ash particulates floating by or bits of people or small animals, but no longer trifled with such unknowable possibilities. He swept Dog off his shoulder, brushed Secretary out of his hair. He kicked a pebble and wondered what his name was. The wind was cold on his hand. The little heart in his wrist jumped. He rubbed the spot. There was a lump growing there, on the inside, near the veins. It had appeared some weeks ago, distinct and firm to the touch. He thought it might be a cyst or an abscess. He pressed his thumb into it and didn't stop for some time. He came to a stream. He knelt and drank and let the water roll against his fingertips as a two-headed frog tried to swim away from itself. He thought about catching it and roasting its legs over a fire, pretend he was dining fine in Baton Rouge. But the two-headed frog was alive. It should not have been, but it was. He brushed his wet fingertips against his neck and shouldered his pack. He came to a farmhouse. In the hallway were embroidered proverbs and pictures of grandchildren. In the living room was a skeleton in a chair, hunched over with its face impaled on a shotgun barrel. In the backyard, he found a deer carcass, bored half hollow by maggots wriggling in their little red houses. The head came away easily, but for a few persistent tendons that stretched like rubber bands. The man split them with his hunting knife and held the head by one ear and looked into the glazed eyes. They had holes in the corners where it looked like tiny flesh miners had tunneled straight through to the brain. The tongue lolled sickly and blue. Black blood caked the corners of the mouth. Some still red and wet dripped from the dangling throat ribbons. The man asked himself if deer had names, and if this doe had one, and what it was, and if anyone grieved for the loss of her. He asked himself because there was no one else. He asked himself questions and gave himself answers. He passed the night in dreams. A hand held his and another ran through his hair. A soft voice whispered in his ear, warming his whole insides. Flowers blossomed at its intonation and imperfect chimeras were woven into being. And always there was room in reality to accommodate them. In his dreams he smiled. In his dreams he cried. In his dreams he loved. And when he awoke, he remembered none of it. It was still dark. He sat up. His wrist was aching. The cyst had grown to the size of a golf ball. It was misshapen and oblong like a peanut. The tips of his fingers were numb. He rubbed the cyst and scratched at it. He pressed on it and felt the pulse within. Pain shot through his arm from his wrist to his shoulder. He clenched his jaw and killed a yell in his throat. He grit his teeth and closed his hand around his wrist and squeezed. He imagined he could feel the thing wriggling, that it knew its time had come, that only now in the crushing throes of death did it regret tormenting him. The man rammed his knuckles into the cyst. Tears spilled from his eyes and dried to frigid streaks on his cheeks. He braced his arm across his thigh like a head on a chopping block. He punched the cyst again, then twice more. Each time, it rebutted with agony. He sunk his thumb into the bulge. Spots danced in his vision. He imagined the satisfaction when the cyst burst inside him and flooded his veins with pus. Someone was screaming. The man stopped, pain forgotten. He could not make out the words, but knew the screamer begged for mercy. It seemed to come from outside, or perhaps inside. The man could not tell. It rose to its peak, wavered, and died in the twilight stillness. He closed his eyes and listened. He stood and went downstairs and searched the house, but he was alone. He went back to the bedroom and packed his things. Two. It came from everywhere. It came from nowhere. It came from above. It came from below. It came from yesterday, and it came from tomorrow. The man followed the voice wherever it led him, for weeks he traversed the empty highways and trudged through fields, always looking for a sign. Eventually he stopped searching with his eyes and learned only to listen. The more he listened, the more he came to believe that he recognized the voice, as though he'd heard it before, long ago. 
When or where or to whom it belonged, he could not say. Sometimes the voice screamed the way it had when he'd first heard it. But other times it laughed. More than once, he'd heard it arguing with itself. The words were indistinct and muffled as though they came through a wall. But he could distinguish in them the rage and misery as it attacked itself and berated itself and tried to defend itself from itself. And he knew the voice was alone, and he knew what it was. He knew that when you were alone, there was no one else to hurt you. Sometimes the voice simply spoke. The man liked to think it was speaking to him. On these nights, the man made himself comfortable and closed his eyes and listened and let the voice usher him into his dreams. It led him to a small town in the country. It echoed along the ragged suburban thoroughfares and up the main street lined with shelves of dilapidated restaurants and general stores and accounting firms. The man walked with his hands in his pockets, wandered more than walked, no longer in any hurry. He knew by now that the voice would not abandon him, because he knew by now that it was not there, not really, and that wherever he went, it would be. He had given himself to insanity. He felt that there was something familiar about the town, and wondered if he had been here before, and at last, it came to him. This was home. This was where he had grown up. His feet carried him, finding their way one stride at a time. When they stopped, he was home. He stood on the stoop of the old house and looked at it for a while. Inside, he wandered from room to room, feeling the house and its objects, pulling recollections from threadbare curtains, wiping them off the dusty kitchen tabletop, settling into them on the living room couch, eking them out of creaky wooden stairs. He was here, and yet the house felt far away, like he was watching himself pass through it in a dream. It was strange to know where he was after so long, and discomforting to realize he was not lost. The feeling frightened him, and he met it with anger. He clenched his fist and hated the round face of this broken little planet for bringing him back to this place. It had taken years and thousands of steps to lose his way, but now the spell was broken, and there were not enough years nor steps left in him to recast it. He sat in his old bed in his old room, looking at the lump in his wrist. The numbness had spread up his forearm. He tried to move his fingers and could not. In the back of his head, the voice whispered, Listening to it in the quiet, the man finally remembered to whom it belonged. He had been wrong. The voice was real. More than real, it was his own, come from inside. He had invented his own direction and brought himself home. Home to die. 3. It came in the night. The man blinked the sleep from his eyes and looked at the cyst on his arm. The skin was stretched nearly translucent outlining the oblong uniform growth. It was gigantic and grotesque, and it was moving, writhing inside his wrist. He put his thumb to the bulge and pressed, and had the horrible feeling like some small creature was swimming up the channel of his blood vessels. An old song came to him which he sang through clenched teeth as he set the point of his knife to the center of the cyst. Blood welled as the blade slid through the skin with hardly a mote of resistance, and collided with something harder than knotted muscle or calcified tissue. He braced his arm and leaned his weight on the knife. There was a muffled crack, and something screamed. It came from everywhere. It came from nowhere. It came from above. It came from below. It came from yesterday. It came from tomorrow. High, hoarse, and muted through the dermis veil. This is tented as though something inside were beating at the flesh walls, trying to get out. The man fell away from himself, his fear-clouded mind forgetting that the thing which repulsed him was of his own body, and that there was nowhere he could run or hide that it would not be. His vision began to vignette. From far away he noted that he could smell toast, and also freshly mown grass and gasoline. His eardrums throbbed with the sibilant night chorus of cicadas. Someone was sobbing. Someone was calling him to breakfast. He could see the full harvest moon on a cloudless night, and then the moon was the eye of an alley cat, rumpled and regal and casing him with its glinting orbs. 
It spat and he flinched, and when he opened his eyes it had gone, slunk away to its dark reprieve, leaving him a morsel of fear. He realized that the cat was a memory, and that these were all memories, pouring out of some long-locked vault in his mind, unleashed upon his oblivion. He shut his eyes and tried to keep them out. Then came the faces. Too many to count, rolling before him like a kinescope, a gallery of visages. Faces with names he should have remembered. Faces making faces. Bared teeth laughed, bemused eyebrows rose, cocked heads questioned, furious mouths crimped, disappointed eyes glistened, sad smiles conciliated. Their unmoving lips asked questions he could not answer. They asked after unkept promises, the sunken dregs of his regret. He wanted to be with them more than anything in the world. Someone was sobbing and the man realized that it was him. He forced his mouth shut and looked at his churning wrist and wanted it gone. He stretched his arm as far from him as it would go and swept clear the nightstand and laid his squirming arm across it. He clamped his teeth on the knife sheath, lined the knife blade up on his forearm just above the cyst and shoved it forward. He saw the flesh rend and felt a distant pain. He dragged the knife backward and heard the tick of serrated metal on bone, felt the teeth shore through the numbness. A spasm in his spine wrenched his head back as though enthralled in a silent exorcism. The sheath trapped the scream in his throat as the world exploded in white. Four. He awoke on the floor with a belt lashed around his stump. He did not remember putting it there. He sat up and saw stars. He twisted and vomited. He spat and dragged his sleeve across his lips. The blood on his remaining hand had not yet dried. He licked his fingers and wiped them on his shirt. He stood and swooned and steadied himself on the nightstand. He realized it was raining. He did not know when it had started. In the mirror above the nightstand was him, all scruff and sunken eyes. Behind him was his severed arm, lying still on his bedroom floor. For a moment he wondered if he was dreaming. Then his severed arm began to rock. It was a gentle motion, a slight teetering back and forth, almost imperceptible in the gloom. He was fascinated and repulsed. There was something in his arm other than he and it was trying to get out. He could see it making its slow way from his wrist toward the bloody opening where the knife had bitten. It inched through the skin tube like a parasitic caterpillar squelching in the vacuum silence of the room. The flesh of his forearm split into ribbons as it regurgitated a bulldozed heap of shredded capillaries and splintered bone. Inch by bloody inch, the creature emerged. First the fingers, gray and groping. Next the head, over large and lumpy like a potato and bleeding where the blade of the man's knife had punctured it. Then came the chest, concave, delicate, and heaving. Followed the waist, crooked and sexless. Last came the legs, corkscrewed around one another and useless, trailing the body like a twisted tail and the thing wriggled free. It had the shape of an infant, only gray and smaller than a soda can. The mouth-warmed head was twisted backwards on the rigid neck so that the creature was forced to perpetually look behind itself. Its right arm, for want of proper room in the cramped birth canal, had failed to develop independent of its body. Instead, it had fused to the creature's side so that the elbow appeared a nubbin just below the ribcage and the forearm cleaved upward along the chest and neck. The hand came to rest on the creature's face with its fingers pointed outward like stubby, twitching growth tentacles. And there, in the center of its palm, was a single, bulging, lidless eye. The man wanted to laugh. He wanted to stomp into death. He did neither. But when the eye rolled over and met his own, he screamed in his heart. The gray infant's lips moved. It coughed a gargled sound, and the fingers around its eye opened and closed and opened again. With some revulsion, the man realized it was beckoning. 
Warily, he knelt and leaned down until his ear was almost close enough to be grasped by the groping fingers. A shiver rippled through his spine. The finger was cold as a dead kitten he had once held to his chest. Colder than a thing should have been, as though the heat had not merely drained from the flesh, but been driven into permanent exile by ruthless, brumal forces. The man bit his tongue and kept from recoiling, some part of him wanting to preserve the dignity of this gray, twisted infant that was surely aghast by its own being. The word came out encased in a cough. Cold! With the word came a feeling, looming from an abyss so profound the man could not say with any certainty that it was within him at all. The feeling at once enveloped him and sunk him to the depths beyond all reason, where light persisted but shone only on things that made him weep. He thought the feeling must have a name but could not remember it. It was relentless, oppressive, and remorseless, and he welcomed it, if not gladly. The man shuffled his fingers beneath the tiny gray body and suppressed another shiver. Cradling it against him with his remaining hand, the man lifted the infant and placed it in his old bed and tucked it beneath the covers. The gray infant's brow furrowed and it whimpered so pitifully it made the man angry. His teeth clenched and his unconscious again sought respite in violent outcomes. He saw the bulbous gray head crumpling against the corner of the nightstand, the lolling eye rupturing on the point of his knife, a horror story with a bloody beginning coming to a bloody end, out snuffed the light that should never have been lit. Then the infant spoke again. Please, it said. Its voice was soft but harsh and forced as though every syllable were a measure of suffering. I have no warmth for myself. Then something in him burst, and the man wept. Five. He sat in the bed with his back against the headboard, the gray infant tucked into the crook of his arm, pressed against his chest. Are you there? The gray infant asked. The man looked down, surprised. Yes he said. I thought you must be, but I cannot feel. It's like I am suspended in dark numbness. But you can hear me, he said. Yes, that is one thing God has seen fit to grant me. You know of God? I know all that you know, Logan Willis. Logan Willis, the man said. That's my name, isn't it? For a moment, he was lost in remembering himself. Then the gray infant asked, What do you know of God? I thought you knew all that I know. What you know, yes. But what do you believe? Logan thought, I believe God is a child, and we are his forgotten toys. He looked down at the gray figure cradled in his arms. Do you have a name? A name? said the gray infant. No, I do not think it would be necessary. I am not long for this world. However, while I do live, there is something you could do for me. What is it? said Logan. I am in much pain. My vision narrows as my littlest eye desiccates and shrivels. I believe that I am dying. I was a part of you for a very long time. I have seen all that you have seen, but much of what I have seen I do not understand. I know that the world is not the way now that it was when you loved it. Tell me, in the little time that I have, what it was like when you loved the world. Logan began to speak. 
Epilogue The great infant is an avid listener. It wants to know about cities and traffic lights and Ferris wheels and porcelain horses skewered on golden poles. Through its former host, it has heard bars of Beethoven and Bach and a little of Scriabin alongside licks of rockabilly and high warbling voices singing of hard days and lonely nights. It wants to know of them all. So Logan tells it. He tells it also of pain and pleasure and painful pleasure and pleasurable pain and of lovers who built their relationships on unkeepable promises and destroyed each other piecemeal. The stories evoke in Logan still more memories he had thought long lost. For an instant, he sees the face of a girl with a green streak in her brown hair. As quickly, it is gone, and he understands he has seen her for the last time. The gray infant wretches on food and gags on water. Logan thinks to himself that it is twisted inside as out, its gastrointestinal tract too tight and winding for sustenance to follow. Only its mind has emerged intact, leaving it fit to digest ideas, notions, and stories, which it consumes ravenously. For a moment, Logan wonders if that would be enough to sustain it, then tells himself he is stupid to hope. He knows that by morning the gray infant will be dead. He understands that he is loving for the last time. He speaks all night, and in the morning, the gray infant is still listening. It looks stronger. Its breathing is not so heavy. Its eye, though crimped and sightless, swivels sprightly, seeing knights and gleaming armaments, locked tower doors and terrible serpents, great pillars of iron and yellow hair that blossoms into tulips at the tips. It sees the world as a boundless geological plain composed of infinite horizons. It sees the world as a pale blue dot of cosmic insignificance. It sees all that is beyond sight. Together, Logan and the gray infant set out into the wasted world. It is hard to leave home, but they know that the earth is round, and should they wish to return, all they must do is keep walking. If Logan's stories cease, the gray infant becomes depressed and effete. Logan wonders when he will get a chance to sleep, but comes to realize there is no need, for he too is vitalized by the stories. While he speaks, fatigue does not attempt to broach his consciousness, nor hunger his satiation. Eventually, with the threads it has imbibed, the gray infant begins to tell stories of its own. These stories have never been told before. Like everything that exists, their yarns are not created, but reconstituted from assimilated filaments, spun anew, and sent shattering forth by frail vocal cords housed in the throat of a miscreated miracle. Logan, the boy who is a man made of memories, carries the gray infant on his shoulders. Together, they walk and tell stories. That was Samuel Feldstein's The Man Who Was a Boy Made of Memories, as read by Sarah Mayra. Sarah Mayra is a native New Yorker who currently resides much closer to the Mason-Dixon line than she ever thought possible. When not spending time with her husband and two teenagers, she can be found listening to horror podcasts or doing yoga to de-stress from listening to horror podcasts and living with two teenagers. Thank you, Sarah. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Lessel Baxter, Paul Belcher, Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, and Orion D. Hegra. 
whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Podchaser, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating or review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs, so you can show those around you just how twisted you truly are. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, Crystal Hammond, Spencer Desparty, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we're swept into the inky depths with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 